0: So in today's podcast, we'll be focusing on the Frio Dockers. And today I'm joined by Tom. How's it going, Tom?
1: Yeah, not too bad. Um, Freo is an interesting one. So definitely be a bit of a juicy podcast for sure.
0: Yeah, for sure. There's some very uber elite premiums in that team, but there's also a few nice rookies which we could select from. Um, we'll begin with, I think, the defence are there any defenders in the premium lines that you're considering at the moment?
1: Um, not really. I don't think I've got a freeo player at the moment at all with regards to primos. Um, but I guess the first one off the rank, and I'll get your opinion on it, Jonas, is, is Luke Ryan. Um, <clears throat> I think a few teams I've seen floating around social media have him as a decent pod option. Obviously has the ability to score quite well if given the opportunity to rebound defend, which is obviously the, the best start at Frio, um, takes a lot of kick-ins when when available. Um, what are your thoughts on Ryan and and I guess if if Hamling is someone we'll, we'll talk about a bit later, but if Hamling plays and is more of a lockdown defender, does that free up Ryan or or does someone like Hayden Young, who's who's really developed in the last two years and has massive reps down at down at Frio, um, will that negatively impact Ryan?
0: yeah so i think you can certainly go worse than picking luke ryan but as you're saying there's some players and some unknowns when it comes to the pick that makes me a bit hesitant on just starting him straight away so for example with hayden young when he did come back in round 19 last year for the rest of the year ryan only uh had one score above 100 so That is slightly concerning considering Young and Ryan play similar sort of roles. And so if Young's a regular in that team in 2022, he could be taking a fair portion of Ryan's points through like kickouts and some intercepts and that sort of thing. However, with Hamling returning similar to like the Jake Kelly, Jordan Ridley argument, you could maybe mount a case that Ryan might play more of an intercepting role, but I think for now, he's a bit of an avoid because I'm more attracted to, at least, the defenders who have a bit of um, midfield time in them, such as as you saw last year with Laird and Mills. They were clearly the two standout defenders. And this year, I think we've been blessed with Crispin Dawson and possibly even with fielders, good midfield options, who are defender eligible. So I think... Starting those above Orion is is the way to go, personally. Do you have any alternative thoughts to that?
1: Yeah, um, it's an interesting one. As you said, you look at Mills last year' he's kind of that prototype that played purely mid and was defence eligible and he was miles ahead of the rest of the pack with regards to scoring. Like Obviously, look at Jake Lloyd, who's been the number one scorer for the last couple of years, and, and he had a pretty down season Um, in in comparison to his lofty standards. And, yeah, a lot of those purely defensive options, so Ryan fits under that category because you look at guys like Lloyd, Ridley and Ryan, they don't really move into the midfield Um, and their scores somewhat got impacted last year um, just because of the nature of how the scoring worked. It was pretty mid-heavy last year. Um, so yeah, the issue with Ryan, I find I've watched a couple Frio games, and he, he's definitely kind of that number one man down there that that kind of dictates a lot of the play. Um, the other issue that doesn't really help Frio is the amount of injuries they get down back. Like they got pretty much an injury prone defense. Like they got Brendan Cox, Hamling, um, Pierce, who are all all really injury prone. As soon as one of them goes down, Ryan ends up being a lockdown defender, which is a problem. Um, obviously, Hayden Young was another one that got injured, which really didn't help. For his cause. But I think if they're healthy healthy fit, um, Ryan can score really well just because the ball always goes through him. He's got a massive kick on him and he always takes kick outs. Um so I don't think Hayden Young, if they played in the same team and you had all the other defenders fit, I don't think that will impact because I think they'll just take um the back half positions one each. But I think the issue is is if any of one of Brandon Cox, Pierce or Hamlin go down, which is more than likely in a season like this year with all this COVID disruption. I think Luke Ryan just goes back and plays a lockdown role, which which really um, negates his scoring. So it's one of those things that I probably wouldn't start him because, as you said, they've got so many good options um, that defenders that play midfield, but it definitely wouldn't be an option to have a look at in the future um, throughout the season. And if you, if you see that Freo's got a healthy list, which hopefully, fingers crossed for them, they do, um, then by all means pick him because I reckon his scoring ability when he's got a rebounding role is pretty effective.
0: Yes, definitely. Staying on the topic of Fremantle defenders, we'll continue with Joel Hamling for a moment. Yeah. He's played one game in the last two years and hence he's at a low price of 235000 Is he someone to consider with, some sort of decent job security and scoring history, or is he a pass for you?
1: Um, for me, it's a pass. I've seen on social media. I don't know who it was, but it, someone mentioned, um, on our feed that that Hamling's probably not a bad option just because of the price point. Um, there is not many defenders in that price point. Like you got Caleb Marchbank is another one, and Caleb Marchbank he gets mentioned every year and never gets selected. So yeah. he he's he's one of those players where he's guaranteed to play a hundred percent of his fit. Like he's one of the better, better defenders. Um, Freer defenders tend to share the, share the scoring load a fair bit between the three key backs. Um, so I don't see him scoring poorly for that price point for like, obviously if you compare into to a Primo, he's going to score shit, right? He's, he's going to score your fifties and sixties most likely, but for a two thirty player, it's not the worst because he's consistent. Um, but the issue is, is I think injury history is just too high. You just don't know um, how a lot of these players will come back from injury, which is a problem. Like for myself personally, I've got Keem and Coleman down there at D5 now as a swing. Um, I've just reshuffled my structure a little bit to fit him in. And I think he's a much safe option. I heard from, I think DR posted on Twitter, I came across him saying that apparently Coleman's taken a fair few kickouts as well. Um, so it seems like they like the ball in his hand as well. And he's, I think he's a lot safer option scoring wise, maybe not team selection wise, but scoring wise, definitely over him over Hamling. Um, but what are your thoughts on, on Hamling? I guess he's definitely a, a proven player in regards to best 22 and he's pretty important for that Freo defense. I think Freo's defense suffered a fair bit without him and Pierce down there. Um, as they play quite tall down there, but do you reckon he's a, he's a hard pass for yourself?
0: He hasn't really come across my mind until recently. I think with the lack of decent defender rookies at the moment, some of these options like Marchbank and Hamlin get floated around a bit, but I think he he hasn't really shown a ceiling and With I I look at, for example, Charlie Kerno, He can throw out a few poor, low 50 scores, but the moment he gets to a ton, he'll be able to generate a good amount of money. I don't see that happening with Hamling. As you're saying, he's going to be scoring 55 to 60, and that's not enough, in my opinion, at that price for him to make a decent amount of money. So for me, he's, yeah, a hard pass. But we'll now move on to the midfield and we'll start at the top with Andy Brayshaw. Is he someone who could enter your starting lineup or with the amount of midfielders that are on offer, his price point, is he a bit of a pass?
1: Uh, yeah. What, what's his price point at? Have you got it up on your computer? He's five hundred and
0: eighty. Yeah. So he's, he's
1: more expensive than Neil. So, I yeah. guess you look at Neil as a starting point and go, is he better than Lockie Neil essentially? Because Lockie Neil a, a guarantee at 540. Um, not at the moment, just because of the way I've structured it pretty much. I had Neil at M5, but just with the with the amount of rookies available in the mids and forwards, or not, I wouldn't say forwards per se, but the 200K options in the forwards and then the rookies in the mids, there's a lot of options down there. So Neil is essentially my M4 now. Um I can't see a place to fit in or just because the next one after Neil is like Oliver McRae and Steele, so he doesn't really match with those ones. However, you know, obviously because Chera's Chera's leaving, um, it means there's points opened up for sure. Like you know, Chera scores eighty to one hundred, so there's, there's points available. Um, whether it is another midfielder that come into that midfield to, to replace Chera takes him, or it spreads more between, you know, guys like Sarong, Fife, and Brayshaw. That's, that's waited to be seen. But um, I don't mind Brayshaw as a pick later on. He's definitely a player that I think he was mid forward a couple of years back and people got on him and and went gangbusters. I think after, I don't know what round it was, but he had a career best game and then, you know, was scoring a hundred plus every game since. So, He's definitely one that can score well. And when he got mid eligible only, obviously it was a dampener, but um, his ability to score is pretty ridiculous. Like he, he has tackles for fun. He's very similar to that steel mold where um, he's, you know, can score just from tackles alone. Um, and he's touted as a future leader of the club as well. So free over massive faith on him. Um, I know at the start of his career is kind of not playing really much midfield and he's playing a lot of time on the bench and, his rotations would be pretty skew if, but um, he's pretty, I'd say he's, a, he's an almost getting to that elite A-grade midfield for Frio. And, you know, as I said, it's similar to Ryan, those Frio boys, um, probably a good upgrade target if you want to finish off your team with a bit of point of difference. But with those midfielders, you just want to make sure you've got the best in there um, because everyone will have the same thing. But moving on to someone that I've seen a lot more of in the preseason, you can have a bit of a, discussion about this jonas is a guy called caleb sarong um he's a lot cheaper he's 450k so he's about 100k cheaper than neil um people have touted him as a blow, uh, as a breakout year i wouldn't say breakout year because he's already pretty much broken out but a year where he's not susceptible to to be a tagger per se more as a pure midfielder and, and showed how talented he was towards the back end of the season and i think kicked almost one of the goals of the year as well so what are your thoughts on Sarong and is is he someone that could potentially sneak into your side round one? Did
0: he kick goal of the year, or was he runner up?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I was. I remember watching that game because he yeah, went nuts Spastor. on the boundary. Yeah. I'll, whilst um, you search
0: it up, I'll uh, give my two cents on Sorong. He's at a really tough price, four fifty one k. You're picking him to stay in your team at that price, I believe. And so for that to be done, he's going to have to average around 110, in my opinion, to be a viable M8. And last year, he averaged 83. I I can't see him possibly rising in average by about 20 to 27 points to become a good selection. So for me, he's a pass for now. In future years, once he um, gets a few more years under his belt, he could become a good option. But... I'm I'm not seeing it at the moment. I'd rather either just pay 100k more for a Neil or pay 100k less for say a Rao or Lapinski. He's yeah at a tough. I think he's much more relevant in the draft format because he has looking at his scores last year. There was multiple times where he scored below 60. Three scores, four actually, in the 50s. So that's going to... If you select him, he's you're going to have to be wary of his low floor. And his ceiling isn't overly high. I think his highest score was 135, which came in the last week. But there weren't any scores around the 120s either. So for me, he's a hard pass.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's... He's just hasn't proven himself as much, and uh, it's hard to see what will happen with that free midfield. Obviously, Chero was a big, I'd say, a, I wouldn't say massive reason, but a pretty significant reason why Frio started to get going was because you had a hard body midfielder in there. Um, whether that means Fife goes back into the mix as a midfielder is yet to be seen, or whoever decides to take over that role. But there's just, I think, too much unknown with Sarong. Um, with regards to actual scoring history, Brayshaw on the other hand is a bit more of a safer option, just because he has had proven two years hundred plus. Um, but I guess someone else that is obviously very relevant um, with Supercoach now with the DPP um, eligibility um, throughout the year is Nathan Five. Obviously, was huge Supercoach scorer in the past. Was pretty much you know captaincy option by default in previous years. However, injuries kind of stuffed him around. Um, and I think I saw in the recent Frio team photos, he had like a goatee and a shorter haircut. So I don't know if that means that he's trying to trim back his ears a little bit. But do you reckon Jonas is he's someone that, because of this new BP DPP rule, and obviously, um, you know, Frio's coach uh, Longmire is saying, you know, in in past that they they don't mind him forward, and he's obviously quite a capable forward, starting as a junior down down forward. Um, he's someone that you know you bring in. Round six, or even start, or with the, with the ability for DPP, or do you reckon that there's just too many other good options um, with someone like Fife who is pretty much guaranteed to get injured at some part some part of the year?
0: I think at five hundred and forty five k, you don't want to be picking someone in your starting lineup who has an injury interrupted preseason for a start, and isn't even a guarantee to start round one at the moment. So for me, he's definitely a pass as a starting pick, but with the new rules, he does become fairly relevant in, say, around six or a 12 if he uh, shows an ability to score and play and looks reasonably healthy and becomes forward eligible, he could become a good option. But in saying that, if he's playing predominantly forward and only scoring you 80s, then I'm not going to go near him. He's going to have to have that perfect 35% split where he's still able to reach the ton and hopefully be around the 480,000 mark. And then maybe I'll pick him. But as we know, he's one of the best in the competition previously. Now his best is obviously behind him. But I'll, I'll move it over to you, Tom. Do you think Fife is someone who... We should look at in round six if he's getting that forward time, or is it dependent on his price and his scoring
1: beforehand and what we see up to round six? Um, I'm just searching up now, just just to backtrack a little bit. Caleb uh, Strong won. Yeah, he did win goal of the year last year. So he's definitely yeah. a talented player. So, yeah, someone definitely to keep your eye on and, and someone that could almost be a lock in, in keeper league drafts and things like that. But just to bring it back to five. You look at his scoring, I'm just already scoring from last year, um, and obviously he played predominantly forward last year, I'd say probably a 70-30 split um, in most games. And he his lowest score was about 70, 70 against the Dogs, and that was in a, in a loss um, against those guys. And obviously, Dogs became minor premiers uh, – not minor premiers, but runners-up in the grand final. Um, and, oh, actually, no, his lowest score was 69 against Swan, sorry, in round 19. So not much difference, but he had out of his – basically 19 games he probably had one two three four five six eight basically 50 percent hit ratio on 100 plus and those hundreds were ranging from from 110 to 120 so he definitely has a scoring capability just watching him um from the naked eye on tv he's a very very dangerous forward so he's not your typical forward who just sits there and waits for the ball to come he's very proactive He's a very awkward player to come up against because he's so dynamic in the midfield. Has the ability? And I think now with Chero gone, he may well pop in a, a bit more um, just to help out the likes of Sarong and, and Brasher, especially in closer games. I think they really need him in the midfield at times against the closer games, um, considering how young the free midfield is. So it's someone that I probably wouldn't start in the midfield just because I don't have space for him, but definitely someone, as soon as he gets forward eligibility, I think he'll just be immediately picked up because um, his low scores kind of match the other forwards, low scores. There's no real other than maybe Dunkley, the rest of the forwards still have the capability of of pumping out seventies. So I think he's someone that's definitely high on my priority. If he gets a forward eligibility, even if, you know, if you want to be really brave, you could select him round one and he goes gangbusters for whatever reason, then you've got and he, any he plays forward as well. Then you've got a mid forward straight away and not having a waste of trade on that. So who knows what happens. Um, But I guess we'll discuss, we'll, we'll probably discuss in one of our later podcasts about those players that we think um are pretty good selection, just based on where their pre-season starting form is or where they're playing and whether they're going to be eligible for DPP. But We'll move on now to someone that is pretty much locked in probably, I'd say 90% of size and that's Sean Darcy. Um, overtook the reins and Max Gorn is kind of that number one, or Max Scorn and Brady Grund is the number one ruck. What are your thoughts on Darcy? Obviously I'm pretty sure you said it was in your side um, pre-season team reveal but do you reckon his massive ceiling? I think he was hitting like 140, 150 with his eyes closed in his, the latter half of last season. Is that enough reason for, for you to pick him? Or are there doubts over A, not showing consistency in his scoring from previous years? And B is I think he's like right knees made out of tape. So it's obviously an injury concern. But what are your thoughts on Darcy?
0: May come across as a bit paradoxical, but it's enough reason for me not to leave him out of my side because if he starts the year with back-to-back 160s, which he's shown the ability to, and he's not on your side, you're instantly 100 or so points behind the pack. And that's quite a frightening thought. He, his durability is a concern, and the fact that he's come out in the preseason, and you can see in photos tape around his knee isn't great but he did still manage to soldier on last year and play the 21 games so even though he's a bit vulnerable and susceptible to an injury he certainly has the ability to play through my concern also does come from the um added rock time that could be given to lloyd meek his scoring was slightly lower when meek was in the side However, in saying that, he still was able to pump out a score of 150 in round 22 against the Eagles, which is against Nicknat whilst Meek was playing. So I'm not too concerned about that. He is more one of those players I've picked at the moment through lack of other really good ruck options, in my opinion. Say Darcy was a midfielder, I'd probably reconsider. But at the moment, he's firmly entrenched in my side. And the only way he'll leave is if he comes under an injury cloud before round one. Yeah. But he's scoring power. I think he's got, in my opinion, hes he's got the highest ceiling out of any player in the league. And his floor isn't too bad either. It's just the durability. But I think that's a risk I'm going to have to take, given I don't want to fall behind other people who pick him. And then if he goes... And on a huge tear, you're going to be really behind the eight ball. What do you
1: think? Um, I'm pretty much yeah. I've got him as well for, for similar reasons, but he's pretty much a lock in my side ahead of Gorn. But I'll, I'll play a bit of devil's advocate here. I've just pulled up the fixture. He plays Adelaide round one, St Kilda round two. Hang on, this is this is, yeah. St Kilda round two, and then West Coast round three. GWS round four. So going through the, the potential ruck opposition he has, he's got Riley O'Brien, who's a pretty established ruckman. Say Ryder and Marshall play, he's, they're going to double up on him. Um, against West Coast, you've got Nick Nat in the derby, and you'd hope for a fit, West, uh, fit Nick Nat going in early in the season. And GWS, you've got Bruce and potentially fleeing combo against him. So is that any reason to scare you off? Um, picking Darcy early on he's got so round five he's got probably Sam Draper in Essendon which is a pretty easy one for him and then after that it kind of gets a bit nicer he's got Carlton after that which is a pushover Geelong's no Ruckman and then North Melbourne's either an old Goldstein or Cherry so Chera or whatever his name is Tristan Cherry or whatever his name is from North so oh, yeah. yeah so early early run he's got a pretty horrendous run is that enough to scare you off or do you think that he'll still score okay against those those kind of rucks early on.
0: I don't think fixture's too much of a concern when I'm picking a premium because it's more relevant, I believe, if you're picking a mid-pricer because you need these mid prices to make money early on. But even if he throws in, say, an 80 against one of those teams you listed and you're going the mid-pricer road you're still probably not going to have enough money to pick him up at, say, a 580k, which I think is probably where he's, his price will be at the lowest. So, he, he no, it's not too much of a concern. It's, it's almost a good thing in a way because if he's playing these easier teams towards the later ends of the season and you don't have him in those crucial rounds, it's going to be even more detrimental for your side. So... When I'm looking at picking a premium, I'm not too worried about their sort of uh, matchups, especially with Darcy, he gets his points around the ground. It's not just in the ruck contests. So if his midfield can get on top and he can run outrun his uh, direct ruck opponent, he should still be scoring well over a hundred.
1: Yeah, I mean that's probably fair enough. yeah, we're uh, we going to say there, Jonas?
0: Just gonna move on to the forward line unless there was anything oh, yeah. else you wanted to touch on.
1: No, I was just gonna say, yeah, it, it's one of those things where um he's he's he could play the play the risky option and maybe, you know, if you're heavy into looking at fixtures and, and matchups, you could pick someone that um, you know, say you pick I don't know, for example, like just be a singular supporter, right? You pick, you pick Marshall for the possibility for DPP, right? You pick him in, he 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 plays Sol Ruck because right is injured, hypothetically speaking, and does well and scores 130s. And your aim is to bring Darcy in and then flip Marshall to the forward line once round six happens. You know, that's a potential to do well because, you know, Darcy might not score against those Premier Ruck early on. But the issue is, is you you know, Darcy's already six hundred plus. So he's not gonna drop significantly unless he has an injury program. I think everyone's picking Darcy anyway. That as you said, Jonas early on, is that you'll probably be behind the eight ball quite significantly if he goes gangbusters, you know, round one and two. And it's even harder to bring him in if he's done that. And even if he doesn't do that and scores, say, low hundreds, um, he's not gonna drop significantly in the amount of money. So he'd rather just find a team where you can lock him in. And I think just if it goes to shit, then I think most people's goes to shit anyway. And um, it doesn't really affect your overall if you're playing for overall that much. If you're doing specifically head-to-head leagues with mates and stuff, it's maybe a bit subject to, to differ a little bit. Maybe you want to match up differently against a certain opponent. But I mean, that's for another day. So yeah, you want to say we're moving on to the forward line. I got something else beforehand.
0: Just another quick note on Darcy is he's a great captaincy option against those weaker teams like a Hawthorne or a Carlton or something like that who have a weak ruck. He's gone 193 against Carlton and 183 against Hawthorne. And even against Geelong, he could easily score 150. So that's just maybe another small thing to keep in mind, the VCC, because he has a lot of games on the Sunday. So you could slap the the, v, the, the captaincy on him which could prob- probably be a bit of a point of difference because a lot of people might go the the Steele or the McRae road. So that's just another thing to maybe keep in mind. But, yeah, we'll move now onto the forward line. Any forwards that are turning your head or is there no one uh, there that's
1: really appealing? Yeah, there's not really that many, unfortunately. I don't think any team is really really a forward line that is super coach relevant where you've got multiple multiple players from that same team. But... There is someone in in the name of Will Brody who's in that 200k mould. Um, I did hear from a pre-season match. I don't know if it was the most recent one or not. I think it was just one of the ones that they did. Um, it seemed like he was, he was dominating. Well, I wouldn't say dominating, but he's, he's flourishing in that midfield role, apparently, and he was scoring goals from from the midfield. So it, it could almost seem like he's, he's the one that's taken over Chera's role, if that's the case. Um, but... I guess I've got doubts with him. I'll throw to you, Jonas, before we we talk about his kind of cons. Um, what are your thoughts on Brody's? He's two twenty four k approximately, so he's in that same price bracket as guys like Charlie Curnow. Um, Stephen Caniglio is not much more expensive. You've got Kierman Coleman as well. Um, is he one that that you're looking at at the moment um, as someone that plays? will potentially might play midfield, pushing forward, or do you think there's just too much risk attached? with a new club obviously wasn't that favorable at the Gold Coast anyway. Um yeah, what are your thoughts on on Will Brody?
0: I don't think too highly of Brody, if I'm honest. He's he's got a lot more cons than he does pros if if I look at him as a pick just objectively. Struggling to get a game at Gold Coast, which raises concerns immediately. However, his durability as well is quite poor. I think he's even in the rehab group as we speak. So immediately, I'd rather pick say some one of those other mid two hundred k forwards who is having a full preseason and you're quite certain on their role. With Brody, I'm a bit unsure if he's actually going to get the mid role, and there's there's been some um differing reports on him some people say he's going well and that he was matching up on brayshaw nicely and other reports say he was like the last with mundy and darcy in in the running drills so anything that that's somewhat negative is concerning take for example Rainer, he's tearing it up supposedly against the b team but at least there's nothing coming out saying that he's slow or he's unfit. But with a Brody, I'm hearing those sort of things. So that immediately raises doubts on, on his ability to play in, in my team. So for me, he's, he's a pass. Unless he, he fully recovers and he's out of the rehab group next week and he's playing full time mid in the preseason game, unless I see a bit of that, he, he's, he's a no for me. How about you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I had him in my side initially. I, I'm not too confident with it anyway. Um, he's more kind of that F5, 200K point because I've gone two, two primos, then 200Ks there off afterwards with Canigli F3. So he's just he's just a placeholder at the moment, but I don't think I'll have him. I'll be much more confident with Rainer. But it's one of those things where any team can come out and say that their their play is flying, right? Obviously Brisbane come out and say Rainer's flying. You just don't know until JLT kicks around because, you know, a Brisbane Rainer um beating up on a B team is nothing to to scream home about. It it's when it comes round one push comes to sub. If he starts in the midfield and dominates, that's a different story. So same with Brody. The massive um kick I've got on Brody is that he didn't make it in the best twenty-two for Gold Coast. And like who knows what happened behind the doors if it was a case of you know didn't get along with the coach or he didn't you know get in the side because of other reasons but if he's not in that Gold Coast best 22 week in week out there's serious questions should be asked about you know is there a reason why and and if he makes free as best 22 round 1 obviously it's a different story but I could see him being touch and go round 1 um and he's had injury problems in the past so there's no guarantee and he hasn't really shown that if he's been given the opportunity at Gold Coast when he played and show like he, he scored too well either. So it may not have been the right environment for him to flourish and and free is a different story out West. So we'll see how that goes. Um, But it's something that, you know, I think it's just a wait and see. And I'd rather not risk and pick him just because I haven't seen much. Obviously, if you look at the, we got basically the pre-season game and the JLT game to kind of confirm our team. So whether he plays midfield in both is yet to be seen, and if that's the case, it could change my mind a bit. But I think there's so many differentials um you can go with otherwise instead. But um, just before we wrap up, my phone's been blowing up for the last kind of half an hour. I wouldn't say half an hour, for the last 15 minutes, just because when we posted, when I posted the Port Adelaide pod just about half an hour ago, I'm not sure if you've seen this, Jonas, but um someone mentioned about Nick Hind um from another from another post on Twitter and it kind of blew up just because my phone's been buzzing off in the last 10 minutes of this recording. And I guess we'll get our get your two cents worth on this. I know we've done the SM podcast, but we've we finished up with the free one pretty pretty quickly, promptly. So I guess we can have a bit of a chat with Ridley at the moment. So someone called SC Dan85, so he's on, on Twitter handle, um, mentioned Ridley's essentially a lock now Um, and it's been blown off on my phone a little bit. So I know JB from uh, Dr. Supercoach isn't a hundred percent convinced on Ridley just because we've spoken a bit about the defensive um, structure of our teams in this podcast. What are your thoughts on Jordan Ridley just quickly um, just because there's a fair bit of conversation happening over Twitter on my phone at the moment but what are your thoughts on on Ridley? Um, is he a lock, or or going back to that conversation we had um, earlier on about defenders playing midfield? Is he in that mold where you'd rather pick someone like a, a Whitfield or or a um, what's his face, the guy from the Crows, um, Dawson. yeah, Dawson? That's it. Um, to to kind of you know get the extra points in the midfield because you, you, this debate at the moment on Twitter. Um, just what I've been reading for the last 10 minutes is that you're either paying up for for someone that is proven scorer and there's people saying that he's 100% going back to his kick-out dominance that he had at the start of last year and the end of 2020 or there's risk of him not not being 100% lock in people's sides. What are your thoughts on quickly two cents worth on Ridley again?
0: It's a great question because I was literally making changes a few days ago deciding on whether to pay out for Ridley or keep Whitfield. And at the moment I've gone Ridley just because the durability is far more appealing. I, I look at Whitfield and I go, is he going to play 22 games? And I say, no, which means I'm already burning one trade on Whitfield. He might score a bit better, but I'm already ahead one trade. If everything goes to plan picking Ridley. So I'm going to spend the extra 37000 and pick Ridley knowing that he's probably not going to get injured. He he got concussed, but otherwise he's he's pretty um, stable when it comes to playing most of the year. And his role is pretty clear. I'm not sure where Whitfield's going to play with Leon and Cameron and the like.
1: Yeah.
0: It does scare me that Whitfield is in a ton of teams, but in saying that, Ownership shouldn't be the main consideration. And then again, if Whitfield gets injured in round three and you don't have him, you've got an extra trade over 40% of the competition. So yeah. that's sort of my logic at the moment. I could still easily find myself picking Whitfield, but... So, so you're, far you're saying, saying
1: that you've got Whitfield? Ah, sorry, read me ahead of Whitfield, is that what you're saying?
0: Primarily because of durability, but I've still got Dawson and Crisp in my team as those midfield yeah, defenders. Yeah, that's what I was
1: going to say. Yeah, so would you would you say that that you would have Ridley over Lloyd per se? Because I know a lot of people got Lloyd basically D1. I know a lot of people are pretty much locked in the likes of Crisp, even Dawson. A lot of people are now um, liking, uh, sweetening onto him a little bit. And obviously Hall's been a lock in most people's sides for a while now. But I guess, um, I know, just looking at my phone now, I know JB mentioned, um, brought up a pretty valid point, Uh, shout out to him and the guys at at Dr. Supercoach, but he brought out a valid point saying Mason Redman took a fair few kickouts um, last year. Let me just bring up the exact quote so I don't uh, mince his words up, but Basically what he said was Redmond secured the majority of the kick-ins last season. If Kelly is taking any, it's an even worse situation than predicted. So pretty much saying that Ridley isn't a hundred percent lock or it's not a guarantee that he's suddenly going to rise up um, this year. So I guess there's, there's a bit of doubt on that. I don't know as a Ridley owner myself, um, last year, it was pretty frustrating to watch him play when he came back from injury. I think that had something to do with his knee not being 100% right. He had a fair bit of taping on that knee as well, and it didn't feel like he was too confident to kick. And it could mean that's why Redmond um, took a lot of kickouts last year. But it almost felt like that once Ridley went back to full fitness, they were splitting the, the kick ins a lot between him, Redmond, even Hine took a few here and there. So I don't know. I, it's one of those things where I don't think there's – I do agree with what JB was saying. I don't think there's a guarantee that just because Kelly's in the side next year or this year that all of a sudden Ridley's going to become an intercept king and and dominate. I think you just don't know with what Kelly provides. It's not a – you'd have to talk to, you know, basically with the listening coach, Ben Rutten, to, to to 100% confirm that. But I guess there's there's a bit of risk attached to Ridley. Having said that, Ridley's a lot more consistent. Someone like a Whitfield, and he does play 22 games. He does. He's so effective with the ball. He's one of the best kicks in that Eston side. So he's pretty much guaranteed to score it. I mean, for me, I was a bit frustrated as a Ridley owner last year just because you looked at, say, Ida made a mind for head-to-head who had Callum Mills ahead of Ridley. And if you compare the two, he was always missing 30 to 40 points because Callum Mills was playing midfield. So if that's the case and, and someone like Jordan Dawson does the same thing and it's been, there's been rumours he's playing on ball and, and wing – could be really effective for the Crows next year with his raking, you know, uh, kicking ability is one of those things that is yet to be seen. And I guess it's, it's good discussion to be had with those defenders. There's so many to pick from that could all end up being top six defenders. It's just whether, I don't think there'll be a huge discrepancy with scoring. I think it'll be maybe five to 10 points between each, each defender here and there. I think they're all capable of scoring a hundred plus, but I guess it's, it's, depending on what you pick will decide, I guess, you know, where you'll end up in the first couple of rounds if you're, if you're banging on for overall, but what are your final thoughts on that defensive kind of, I guess we'll we'll talk a lot more in depth when we actually um, bring out our team reveals for round one, but, but what are your final thoughts on that overall defensive structure with, with news coming out? There's probably not as many defensive rookies to be had um, down there in comparison to the mids and forwards. I think that certainly means you need to go at least
0: three premiums and one mid pricer, as in like a Coleman. I've gone, I'm probably going to go the four premiums in defense and the one in Coleman. Ridley, as a pick, it's, yeah, they're, as you're saying, they're also similar. You got short as well in there. And then if you're really, Ambitious. You could even throw in a Tom Stewart if that's your cup of tea. But I have heard really positive signs out of Essendon about Ridley and how he's training and the fact that he's staying back after sessions and that they're trying to free him up and loosen him up and have Kelly take on the lockdown role because he's quite a good lockdown defender. But, yeah, we'll see in the preseason. I'm not too... The kick-ins, he's not going to have a monopoly on them, no. But he should improve his intercept marking numbers. And that in itself should see a rise in his average. So, at the moment, yeah, he's in my team. Not firmly entrenched. But we'll just have to wait and see on on these defenders. The JLT is a tricky one, though. Like... When I was watching last year, I had Mills and Walsh in my team and they scored sub-100 and I kicked them out. So it's not the be-all and end-all. I'm more going to look at his role and what Kelly's doing. But if he scores, say, 80, but I like his role because he's taking a few kick-ins and some nice intercepts, but the ball wasn't down there all the time, I'll still probably lean towards him. But, yeah, it's for another day. We'll have to see
1: But um, just to wrap up, before we completely forgot about this, before before tangenting off to, to the defence, um, we forgot about the Freer rookies. I, I mean, we've got um, Spillers supercoach be on uh, later on this month, early March, to discuss about the rookies much more in detail. But um, we'll just get your thoughts on on very briefly, Jonas, about O'Driscoll and Erasmus. So, were the main two picks that are kind of relevant at the moment with the preseason. I Driscoll's a 123k defender. Erasmus is pretty huge wraps on him um, from the Freo camp. He's a 160K mid. What are your thoughts? I know we're both not furrow supporters, so we can't we don't much too much um bias or too much say on on those two rookies. But what are your general thoughts on those two boys? Um and any of those two locks in your side. Obviously, as rookie fodder, it's it's a bit of Russian roulette who who starts round one, but at the moment, I, either of those two in your starting lineup.
0: I'll put it out there. I think Driscoll's the best defender rookie at the moment. With the DPP, he's playing a bit of midfield time. He's had a few years in the system. I think just, for the moment, put him in as a placeholder, but I can see him easily starting round one. With Erasmus as well, he's competing against, say, a Dylan Stevens and a Ward, Hobbs, all those players. So I'm not sure. He's in my side at the moment, but It's all going to come down to who really takes my fancy in the preseason game with those sort of like rookie players between 150 to 200K. He's got a good set of hands on him, and if he plays a fair chunk of midfield time, he'll probably start on my side. The other thing that it could lean in his favour or not, but the fact that he comes from a WA side, I'm not sure how many border restrictions that there's going to be placed, <laughs> but that could um, impact a lot of the Fremantle players. So I'm going to be quite wary on the of them, but I assume they'll be in hubs a bit. So it's going to be interesting to see which players are able to adapt to them better than others, because there are going to be some that are negatively affected by it and others who aren't too fast. So that's just something to keep in mind. So I wouldn't be picking too many West Coast or Fremantle players just because of that thing. But what are your thoughts on those two reviews?
1: Um, I mean, I've pretty much got O'Driscoll locked in just because of his price point. I mean, I don't know too much about him. He's obviously got DPP, so it helps. Um, and just the price, like 123, it's a no-brainer just having him on your bench, if anything. Erasmus is an interesting one. Uh, it's on Twitter. I mean, we'll, we'll get more insight when we when we get Spiller on And He was he had a huge wraps on him. Um, just looking at the Freer website I've got open now, They've listed him as 190 centimetres, 82 kilos mid-forward. So he's a big boy. Um, It was saying that he was average. So this is a quote from the the Fremantle site. He averaged 164 ranking points, which made him the number two ranked player in the whole competition and the number one rated midfielder. This was down at Subiaco. Um, So he's definitely got the ability to play um, for sure. And who knows, like, if he he lights up the pre-season track, he could easily, you know, be the one that, that subs in and rotates between Chera for for Chera's spot between Brody and Fife. And if that's the case, um, I, I would say that, you know, if, if Frio are pretty confident to give him games and, and, and really bolster up the midfield with a big body player, even though he's he's still young, one nine is a big guy in the midfield as well and would definitely help like this Sarong and Brace. I think the one thing Frio need now um, to really make their they've got a good midfield, like Bray and Sarong are super, super talented. Um, the one thing to really get their midfielder tick is is to have a big, big mighty midfielder in there. And if Fife isn't the player for it just because of injury and more forward time, then I I I wouldn't be surprised if Erasmus and Brody kind of rotate through that midfield or they're even competing for that third midfield spot. Um, and that will really bolster that that freer midfield. Because if you say, look the likes of I mean, you look like St. Kilda steals basically that, that real big grunt midfielder player. Same in Melbourne, you've got Petrarca, the bull in there. Um, so every team needs one. And I guess if Erasmus ticks the right boxes pre-season, he could be there round one. And um, if that's the case, he's another midfielder that goes into that category where there's so many rookie midfielders like Dacos, Ward, Horn Francis that have been so much hype. And, I guess we'll we'll speak about this when we reveal our round one teams and things like that. Is is how far are you going with these rookies in midfield? Are you are you banking up them all, or are you you going back to that tried and tested? Make sure you got enough primos in the midfield to to score well. So I guess time will tell for that. But any last words, Janet, before we wrap up? Or I think we're all freemantled out with, with those boys.
0: Leave out Matt Johnson for now. He's got a bit of a foot injury, so. I think you'll struggle to line up round one but maybe a good option come mid-year as a rookie
1: yeah for sure but uh, I think that's all, all we've got time for today um, I know that we mentioned in our port podcast that the Hawthorne one is coming out it, it is coming out um, we're just confirming on a guest there here and there it's a bit um, a bit Russian roulette about what happens with these guests and all that so we're um, trying our best to try and stick to what we've been saying but um, we've got not many preseason teams left, which is nice. We we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, um, which is good. So after that, we've got the rookie report, um, with hopefully spillers will be on for that one. And then we're in the works of a of a draft night in a sense, where we'll be on Zoom. Um, we'll get some of the people that we've had on in the past hop on for a bit of a draft, bit of a laugh, and it'll be um bit of a laugh around with that one. And if you're keen for that as well, um, feel free to DM us on Twitter or Instagram and we'll, we'll be sure to have you on as well. Just a bit of fun that one before um, round one really ramps up. But until then, we'll uh, catch you for the next preseason team.